Yo, 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 what's going on? Welcome to Otaku Beef. I am Zid Raw. Welcome to our inaugural show where I'm going to talk about the stuff that interests me. I mean, I like all geek culture. You know, I'm I'm a nerd from way back. I'm a geek from way back and I'm an otaku all the time. Um, so to start stuff off, let me just give you a quick mm, jumping off point as to who I am, what I'm trying to do, where I am in my life. I'm not rich, I'm not famous, I'm not super successful, but I am pretty satisfied. I love doing the things that I do. I'm very fortunate to be able to be in the position that I'm in, me having the ability to create art every single day. Um, and I just love otaku stuff. That otaku at my soul. I've been watching uh, since way back. My cousin got me into anime back when we were about 12 or 13, when Rama One Half was on VHS. That's my in my um, most influential or one of my favorite, my top five favorite anime of all time, and that's kind of where things go. Uh, got started for me. So jumping into that, you know, I'm I'm just me. And I'm just going to talk about all the stuff that interests me. And we're going to deep dive like I like to do. And hopefully you, you guys enjoy it as well. So thanks for listening to the inaugural episode of Otaku Beef. And once again, I'm Zid Raw, aspiring rapper, aspiring otaku, aspiring human being. So I want to talk about MBTI and how it relates to pop culture. So if you don't know what MBTI is, I'm talking about the Myers-Briggs pop, the Myers-Briggs type indicator test, which depending on what you test for determines your preferences with how you move in this world. Now, I'm not going to give you a huge overview because that's not really my expert, ex- my area of expertise. I'm just a big uh, information head where when I'm interested in something, I absorb way more knowledge and facts, read way more articles. And, you know, a lot of people have the patience for. So I'm going to direct you guys to a podcast that I enjoy called Personality Hacker, where I feel like they give you the best in-depth analysis of what it means to be a Myers-Briggs or what the Myers-Briggs test says about uh, you and your personality. But that's for the deep dive. Go to Personality Hacker, uh, listen to the podcast. Uh, But first, before you do that, you need to take the test so you understand what it's about. Uh, The quickest, best way to find out what your type is, is to go to a website called 16 Personalities. On 16 personalities, there is like something like a 50 question test um, where it's just, you know, like those online tests, like do you prefer this, this on a scale of one to 10, blah, 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 50 questions. It takes about 10 to 12 minutes. It's very fast. But once you take the test, it spits you back a code, four letter code. And um, each of the letters corresponds to a different segment of your personality. Uh, so the first two letters is you can be an extrovert or introvert, followed by you can be an intuitive or a sensor, followed by you can be a feeling type or a thinking type, followed by you can be a, a perceiving type or a judging type. 
off the top of like my head, like when you say those words, feeling, thinking, extrovert, introvert, there's a lot of misconceptions about what those actually mean. Whereas people hear, oh, he's a thinking type. He's smart. Oh, she's a feeling type. She's not smart and vice versa. She's a feeling type. She's warm and, and, and emotive. He's a thinking type. He's cold and calculating. That's not actually accurate. Um, each, each type, each segment of each type, once you understand what it actually does, gives you a very clear understanding of how you prefer to move in this world. All right, so let me break down the uh, MBTI types real quick. So extrovert versus introvert. Extrovert needs to be around the external world. Other people usually is the uh, reference point for the external world, but a lot of times it can be stuff, things outside of themselves, because for an extrovert, the external world is the real world. That's why a lot of extroverts recharge by being around people. Versus an introvert, the internal world is the real world. They recharge by being by themselves. Sensors versus intuitive is the second letter. That's your S versus N. Sensors are granular, granular detail people. They really revel in understanding the bits and pieces of every little thing that's right in front of them. Intuitives make logical leaps. They uh, are a little bit more abstract in how they process information, and a lot of times they prefer a lot of abstract, um, non-precise concepts. Thinkers versus feelers. A thinking person leans towards objective logic, uh, and a feeling type leans toward internal logic, and that's just kind of how it is. The um, the, mis the misnomer about those types is that thinkers are smart and feelers are dumb. And that's not true at all. They're like, well, I'm a feeler, so I can't keep up with the brilliant stuff. But that's not how it works. It's really just based on how you make your decisions. Do you make your decisions based on the internal emotive state, which is really an internal logic structure that was fashioned by some sort of belief system? Or do you make your decisions based on what you feel to be objective reasoning, which can sometimes lead to things that are of or not of your, um, to your benefit. Well, it can be the same for both, but you, you, you get what I'm saying. Uh, the last is judgers and perceivers. Now the perceiving type is very flexible, likes to do things a little bit more spontaneous, makes loose plans because they feel like plans are restrictive. Judging types are planners. A lot of times they're neat freaks. They're the people that show up early and on time while perceivers are often late. The difference is that the judger's mind internally is disorderly. It's cluttered. So they organize the external world and that's where they find their, their structure. Whereas perceivers, the internal mind is organized and sharp. And, and, and neat. So their external world by reflection is oftentimes cluttered. 
So that's kind of the basic breakdown. But why are we even going into this? Uh, why are we even going into this talk about Myers-Briggs, type indicator tests, uh, the 16 personalities? What's the point of me bringing this up on an otaku podcast? Because this is otaku beef, and as Zid Raw, I am most fascinated with geek culture, with anime, with video games, with Final Fantasy. That's my shit right there. So how does this relate? There is a problem in storytelling when it comes to Hollywood, especially, and how Hollywood leans towards one type of personality versus the other. It favors a type of the other. That type is feeling type over thinking type. And it's personally frustrating for someone like me because my Myers-Briggs type, I'm an INTP. I'm an introvert, I'm intuitive, I'm a thinker, and I'm a perceiver. So when I see Hollywood constantly making the good guys as feeling types, the normal people as feeling types, and all of the weirdos, the bad guys, the losers are always thinking types, that's frustrating. It's it, it's almost bizarre because that doesn't that's not how it actually works in real life. But that's what they do. So let's play a jam because I can do that now, and then we're gonna dig into that a little bit more. Zidra. Alright, so let's really really talk about this. This is something that's personally affecting for someone like me um, where if I'm watching anything that's concocted or crafted by Hollywood anything at all like television and um, the films not so much books because books are crafted by individuals so you have variety the point I'm making is that Hollywood seems to make this weird sense where feeling types are seen as good and thinking types are seen as bad and I feel like that's a problem because when you looked at the Myers-Briggs breakdown of thinking types versus feeling types there is a uh, the the population breakdown is something like 50% 50% is pretty even half of us are feeling types half of us are thinking types the reality is neither is good neither is bad we just kind of are and we have our positive and negatives some of us even have we have preferences but both types shine in both or any types of situations that's what's so crazy about it to me so when you have somebody in Hollywood or I guess in the movies let me break let me show it to you like this Everybody in movies, especially like kids' movies, Disney movies, uh, Marvel movies, Star Wars, my beloved Star Wars movies, the characters whom are evil are thinking types. They use that objective reasoning that thinking types use. There, a lot of times, the hero will be like a valiant young man who just does what his heart tells him, trusts his gut. And he's good and kind and handsome. The thinking type 
is a scientist to the bad guys a scientist. There's so many scientists bad guys that it's almost crazy when scientists have done so much for this country that it's 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 kind of gross. It's kind of gross. And it's just like the go-to. What I'm saying is not saying that you can't make a story like that, but it's the, it's it's the go-to. The go-to formula is that people who have my persuasion are just basically shown as evil a lot of the time when characters who are friends of the good guys have these characteristics they're like the dorky lame scientist best friend or the the person who they're being so cold right now why don't they understand that you have to do whatever xyz in order to do why can't they just care for the people like they're portraying uh, people that have a thinking type personality as wrong. And I feel like that's a problem because what it does is it marginalizes people, 50% of the population, into thinking that how they do things naturally, how they naturally show up to the party is a fallacy. That it's it's wrong. Like they're a mistake. Isn't that fucked up? But that's kind of how it goes. So I view this and... I feel like no one really talks about it. We just kind of go with it and maybe people don't notice or maybe I doubt that feeling types notice because they probably, because that's how they see the world anyway. So they're probably like, yeah, good is good, uh, bad is bad, and good we see as what we would do personally and bad we see as what, what, whatever. Uh, the opposite of ourselves. Uh, Personality Hacker touched on it a little bit when someone asked the question, why aren't there any real feeling type bad guys in Hollywood? And they pointed out that more than like, more likely the majority of people who work in Hollywood are feeling types. So when you're writing a story, you want the hero to kind of align with your belief system. And the people that probably felt oppressive to them were probably thinking types in their childhood. So that's kind of where that comes from. So that is probably the reason for that. Now, it's not perfect. And it's not, it's not terrible. The, the, well, it, it, the, the terribleness is that that's the only way things have been done historically. We really need to change the system because you're marginalizing 50% of the population. Um, I want to talk some more about this. I'm having fun. Uh, I'm Zid Raw, Otaku Beef. Be right back. So let's give a comparison when we compare Hollywood versus anime. And this is where I wanted to really bring it back, where I kind of wanted to touch in on this. Anime is very balanced, or way more balanced than Hollywood is. And I feel like that creates a healthier uh, landscape because whether you like it or not, you're influenced by the shows that you watch, by the music you listen to, by the speeches you listen to. Television, it maps something to your brain. You, you're able to uh, gain an understanding of what you feel like or what you should know culture to be based on how characters are reflected into uh, their own stories. Because basically, story, stories are reflections uh, of our own society. They're 
ways to try to comprehend things that we can't comprehend. They're ways to express things that we have in our soul that we just need to get out. I think that that is truth. But if you only tell one side of the coin, you end up with a very narrow perspective that is quite false. So anime, I'm a huge anime fan from way back. Um, If you look at like my stuff, this is otaku beef. I make otaku beats. I'm an aspiring otaku. Um, that's That's my ish right there. And that's probably why I've gravitated towards so many of the stories because a lot of my favorite manga are told from the perspective of a thinking type person. Naruto, the main character of Naruto is a feeling type, but the culture of Naruto is thinking. He wins battles by outthinking his opponents. He is stronger and he does, you know, do that, ah, not quite like Dragon Ball Z, but he outthinks people. The whole first three arcs are about how can you cleverly strategize? How can you make objective decisions? Shikamaro is revered as one of the greatest characters ever because of how he makes decisions based on the knowledge and information. He's the first to get promoted in the Chunin exam because of that. He quits in the main fight because he realizes he doesn't have the capabilities to lose, to win. And they're like, that's what makes a good battle commander. Hunter Hunter is a thinking-based show. The characters whom are lauded and held up are thinking-type characters. Uh, Kilua, Hisoka, Kurapika, the ones who are feeling-type characters are either just happy-go-lucky or they're, you know, slightly, they're the comic relief. That's just the culture of that show. And even the main character, Gong, who is a feeling-type character at his nature, resolves himself to eventually winning the battle as as a thinking-type person would. But you also have shows like One Piece, probably the, gr- the, the greatest or biggest manga of all time, where feeling types, that's the culture of that show. Luffy is a feeling type. Zoro's a feeling type. All of the good guys are feeling types. A lot of the, there are some bad guys who are thinking types and scientists and cold, but that's just one side. It's balanced what I'm after. Not you can't have one and you can't have the other, but you need both. You need both perspectives, and that's how we understand each other. One of the greatest thinking type battles of all time is in Death Note. There is no feeling type. The, the, the only time the characters really lose is when they go into their emotions as opposed to their objective logic. Light is an ultimate thinking type, L is an ultimate thinking type, and they clash and it's beautiful. There are no stories like that in America. Speaking of Death Note, I don't know if you saw that Death Note trailer. I don't know what that was. That was not the soul of Death Note. They changed it from thinking type culture to feeling type culture. And let's actually get into that, but I want to play another Norvis Jr. song because his shit is fire. 
Otaku Beef. Yo, 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 what's going on? Z-I-D-R-A-double-V on Otaku Beef. So let's talk about this Death Note <laughs> trailer that recently came out. So for those of you who don't know, and those of you who haven't seen Death Note, my apologies. I'm going to try not to talk about the actual story. I'll just talk about kind of the broad strokes. The Death Note story is a very amazing anime or manga. It's actually probably my one in my top five of manga, and I actually haven't thought about what my top five manga and anime are. And every time I do a top five list, I never do best. I just do favorites, because best in a subjective genre or in things where there's no, there are no numbers, really, facts and figures other than sales. And sales don't necessarily determine quality. Otherwise, only the top restaurants in the world will be selling out and making millions. McDonald's wouldn't be making anything. There's some different fa- differentiating factors. But Death Note is definitely on my list of my favorite manga. My other favorite mangas are going to be like Hunter Hunter, probably Vinland Saga, but it's not far enough along. Probably Gantz, 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 however you want to pronounce it. But I'm not going to go into a list. I'll have to come back and try and discern what my list is and maybe talk about those another day. I just really want to talk about this Death Note trailer because it's such an, a powerful, it's a powerful story of dealing with differentiating shades of gray when it comes to what would you do? What, what would you do if you were put into these types of situations? It's this cat and mouse game where a detective is going against somebody who also has very powerful deductive reasoning skills, the ability to make plans and set traps. Both of them are at the like the top of their game. And how they handle a sense of morality, objective morality. It's not about in internal morality, not really, though there is a subjective slant to L versus Light's perspectives, but it's almost like the battling of what is the true objective reasoning of what is and isn't good, what is and isn't bad. So you have these very strategic thinkers. They make their decisions based on their thinking aspect, which is thinking, once again, is your external logic system versus feeling, which is an internal logic system. Not smart and dumb, external versus internal, objective versus subjective logic system. So you have this Death Note trailer, and it you can just tell they hit it with this watercolor brush of feeling type perspective. And there's nothing wrong with that in a show, but there is something wrong with that in an adaptation because the whole point of an adaptation is not to mirror the show beat for beat, but to mirror the spirit of the show. That's why the Game of Thrones adaptation works so well. It doesn't follow the story exactly, but it follows the spirit of the characters. That's a very thinking type world and the language and the culture of that world is 100% expressed in the the nature of, of the books 
and the show mirrors that nature. That's why the show works, because those characters were designed for that nature. So when you take something like Elle and Light and you change their nature, or you change the culture of the show, where Elle uh, is this super aggressive, almost feeling types guy, cool and uncool, where Light is kind of lame when he was almost like lauded and charismatic and he used that to his advantage and he was calculating. But now he's making his decisions to try to appeal to a love interest. You're turning it into a teen drama when that's not what the show is. It's a cat and mouse show. So I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they, what they, what words they say, but the soul of the show, they got the soul wrong. And that's why you can kind of tell that it's not gonna sit right with a lot of fans. It's not the aesthetics, it's the internal. Yeah. I really think that that's part of the problem is that there's no respect for the other type depending on the type that you are. And I feel like we should as a society, as all societies know, that everybody serves a purpose. Every Myers-Briggs type serves a purpose. If you haven't already, definitely find out what your type is. The 16 personalities test is pretty quick. It's super fascinating. And what's interesting about it is that it explains a lot. Certain people don't like it because they feel like they don't want to be categorized. They don't want to be put in a box. Other people like it, like myself, because it feels liberating. When I was growing up, I was constantly told that I was too quiet. So I've been trained to voice my opinion, to talk a lot, to express myself. But that's not how I naturally show up at the party. I usually sit back, concoct my opinion and my understanding about things in my own head, and then when I'm ready to express it, once I have the pieces in place, then I give you a very long 30-minute diatribe that a lot of people weren't, ex weren't expecting. But because our culture didn't appreciate the, intro the introverted type, introverts were a lot of times seen as abnormal or, oh, he's so quiet. Oh, he just doesn't talk. Oh, he's so quiet. And it's crazy because that's 50% of the population. We need understanding, y'all. We need... We need understanding that people are different. People show up differently. And it's, the United States, I'd say, is culturally, it favors and really respects the extroverted type. It really favors and respects the feeling type in a lot of instances. Culturally, I would say Japan favors and respects the introverted type and the thinking type. The, the, the sayings go, the, Nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Don't stand out, fit in, do your part. It's a very Japanese culture concept, I guess, that we just don't have over here. Like, I'm not privy to it, but apparently in Japan, whenever there's a UFC fight and people are fighting, no one talks. There's no cheering, there's no shouting, there's no like, ah, no screaming, no yelling, it's, it's silent. Polite, silent, quote unquote, respectful silence, and then a 
than applause at the end of the fight. And can you imagine that for something like over here? They, they couldn't have the WWF like we have it over here in, uh, in America. Now, that's with very limited knowledge. And hell, that may be even a, an urban myth or whatever. But based on what I've heard from people who have talked about it, who know what they're talking about, they say that's what it is. And I believe that that's because the culture favors that introverted thinking. Quiet, think it through, then express. Where over here, we're like, go, just do whatever, and just don't apologize, and just take what's yours, and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of who we respect. And there are positives to that, and there are negatives. There are certain political figures and entertainers who we love because that's what they do. And there are certain political figures and entertainers who we hate because that's what they do. What I'm trying to get at is that neither type is good, neither type is bad. We need both. And we should definitely really pay attention to this because I, for one, am very tired of my heroes in like superhero movies only solving problems by yelling and shouting and gutting it out. I love The Flash. That's one of my favorite shows. He's in a house full of scientists and the end result is he always beats the main bad guy or most of the big bad guys just by like yelling more. Like, yeah, I wanted it more. He just figured it out. They put some science there, but not enough. Supergirl is a little bit worse. Arrow, which should be the thinking type show, has strayed away from that and has become very feeling type uh, based. And I, I, I do lament Curtis, who I was looking forward to being that character and hearing and seeing Mr. Terrific, who's one of my favorites, which I may talk about next. I may talk a little comic book shop next. Um, because this topic is fading, but I appreciate you listening to this. So Taku Beef, I'm going to play some more beats, songs, Norvis Jr., Sir Mike. Yo, what up? This is Otaku Beef. I'm Zid Raw, Z-I-D-R-A-V-V. Aspiring rapper, aspiring otaku, aspiring human being. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys like that Myers-Briggs rant that I gave earlier about Hollywood leaning towards F-types and anime having a more balanced outlook and how I feel like we need to have more of a balance on the West Coast where we pick one thing that has worked historically and then we use it to death. And I feel like we should be a little bit better than that. You know what I mean? So let's talk about Jay-Z. Let's talk about 444. I haven't really put any notions or ideas of how I feel about Jay-Z or his album on uh, recording, or I guess you say on, do you say on wax anymore? Because I mean, no one, even when it's like music, you don't listen to things on vinyls unless you're like a collector or you're like a music head, like some of the homies. But we'll just say you don't, I haven't put anything, I haven't recorded anything about 444 other than a couple of Snapchats. Oh, Snapchat Zidraw, Z-I-D-R-A-W-V. I guess Z-I-D-R-A-W for Snapchat. <laughs> Yo, so 444 is one of the most surprising projects that I've heard in a while. And it's interesting for someone like myself who is a title subscriber because I try to think about it on like a meta perspective. Um, Jay-Z is, is, is an interesting guy. He's one of the best role models that the culture has 
when it comes to business, when it comes to longevity, when it comes to family structure, he's not the best role model when it comes to staying out of the hood culture. I mean, he is, but at the same time, he does have the drug dealer past, which is hard to escape from. And that could be not be being fair to Jay-Z because we're all victims of our own circumstances. You know what I mean? Like, I can't help where I was born. I can't help the positives or negatives or of the choices that I had to make because of my circumstances. I didn't have to do what he had to do to survive or really to thrive, I should say. Because it wasn't just about surviving. It was about thriving. It was about having income in an incomeless world. It was about creating something in a landscape where the cultural nomenclature is that you can't create things. You can't escape. You can't build. But he did. And he did it in almost a notorious way, no pun intended. But eventually he got into rap music, which is just peddling a different type of product. So, career notwithstanding, he's had incredible longevity. He's done things that a lot of rappers have done that a lot of rappers will never do, that a lot of rappers can't do. All the way down to his wedding vows. A lot of rappers, they can't marry Beyonce. There's not going to be another Beyonce for another 20 years. That's just how it goes. Like, Beyonce is probably like our generation's, I don't know, Patti LaBelle. That's probably not the best example because I'm not super, super versed in who were the big, uh, the big time soul singers of my parents' day. But that's basically what I'm referring to. Beyonce is our, she is the top. She is the epicenter. She is the the bar. And there's not going to be a second one for another person to duplicate. So that almost puts Jay-Z in a category unto himself. So because of his career and how amazing it has been, it's so surprising that he came out with the album that he did. One that's so introspective, one that's so lo-fi, one that sounds like it does, one that's produced by no ID. It's shocking. And I'm still shocked, even though I've listened to it numerous times. So, what's interesting about this is the way in which it came out. So, 444 almost brought about a future that I wasn't anticipating to come about for another five years. And let me see if I can break that down because it's kind of my own guessing in terms of where is the music industry going to go? Well, not the music industry. Where's hip hop going to go after the current state it's in? Because that's just how 
rap music and music in general goes, it changes, it shifts. At one point in time, we had the crunk music era. Another point in time, we had the soul sampling era. Another point in time, we had, you know, African Boombata electronic, you know, dance music era. It's It shifts, it changes. And I've been anticipating a comeback of lo-fi production like the lo-fi production that we've been seeing all over the internet is just blowing up it's exploding it's crazy it's almost become like a standard and I'm sure maybe not on this episode because of the nature of how I'm recording it but there's gonna be tons of lo-fi production underneath me talking on otaku beef there's i'm making lo-fi production right now because it's what interests me i feel like that's where the zeitgeist is going and it's gonna eventually right now it's just chill music it's sleep music it's rest and relaxation music but soon there will rise a champion there will be a rapper who is going to dominate on this sound And they may not do it in the same way, but someone is going to ride that, love that, and they're going to rise up. So that's the lane that I've been kind of playing around with personally because I think it's real interesting. You know, I love doing that kind of like nerdcore rap, but over that type of sound and trying to modernize it. It's fun. It's a a game. And I'm like, okay, in about five years, that's probably what the landscape will be like because someone's going to rise up and figure out a way to modernize it. And then came 444, and Jay-Z did his thing over that otaku beat sound, and I don't think we're going to have to wait five years. I'm thinking it's going to be two years. In two years, we're going to see an influx of lo-fi production, because No ID produced the entire the entire 444 album. No ID is a historical producer, and I'm not even like a rap historian like that, but he's Kanye's mentor. He's Jay Cole's mentor. He worked with Common. Man is a brilliant producer. So when we get all of a sudden 10 tracks, soul samples, crazy chops, crazy breaks, all this like music dropping off and shit like that, and then it's, it's, it's nuts. And hearing Jay-Z rap over it from the get-go, from fuck Jay, or kill Jay-Z, that track is outstanding. I still get chills every time I hear it. And <coughs> this is from somebody who is not a traditional Jay-Z fan. I like some of his music. I like it when the production is fire. But like he decides I'm not going to go in and rap crazy like that. But then on this album, he does. Why? I think Jay-Z is a businessman who doesn't move unless he knows he's going to be a success. He couldn't do this album six years ago because the landscape wasn't right. He couldn't do this album ten years ago because the landscape wasn't right. Not because he didn't know how. People wouldn't have embraced it. But think about the rappers who are popular now. Chance the Rapper. Kendrick Lamar. Schoolboy Q, Absol, Big Sean. These guys are spitters. And the most popular rapper right now, arguably Kendrick Lamar, his last two albums, two and a half if you count Untitled and Mastered, those albums are deep. They're political. 
And Jay-Z, knowing that the culture has been primed, drops 444. Think about it. Think about it. Because you know he has. Let's hear some more music, yo. Yo. I don't think I really did a deep dive of what makes 444 so special. And this is not... This is not a review because I don't really review projects. All I can tell you is the the feeling that the projects gave me, why I think it gave me that feeling versus what they were probably going for, whether they succeeded or not. It's about all I can say. I think 444 kind of succeeds in all the avenues where when you look at Magna Carta... It seems like Jay-Z was growing out of the persona that he had almost established for himself. Like his previous persona was, I'm, I'm a hustler, I'm a gangster, I really know how to make money, I really know how to do unique things that the average person can't. Beyond that, then he's like, okay, I'm a boss, I'm... I'm running a crew. I'm the one that takes care of the family. Right? Then when he gets to be older, in his 40s, he's still interested in rap, but he can't find it in himself to tell the same story, to sing the same old song over and over again, because it's like, what's the point? He's already said everything he has to say. He doesn't have anything to prove. So when you hit that plateau, he started reaching outward and he was looking for meaning. And when you're looking for meaning on that scale, you tend to go towards things that the world has prescribed to be the most meaningful, i.e. art. So Magna Carta really feels as if it's an homage or an appreciation of the fine arts, the abstract arts, the the culturally impactful art. He had the whole Picasso baby song, which was a dope song, and he's admiring the 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 power of the Picasso. And he's speaking about it in very matter-of-fact terms. And he had this whole production where he was doing moving living art, where he just rapped the song inside the museum over and over and over again. But when he's doing that, it's interesting. But it's not powerful. And that's basically what I would use to describe Magna Carta. It had... A couple of really interesting songs. It's had some really good beats on there. Had a couple of songs with some interesting lyrics, but it didn't grab me and not let go. It's not visceral. It is an appreciation of the visceral. Now, if Magna Carta is an appreciation of art, 444 is him finally creating the art itself. That's the the location that's the destination 
that he's been trying to get to for a long time. So, or that he's been trying to get to as of recently. It's, it's an exorcism of the negative traits that he's felt inside of inside his life. It's, it's the full maturation process, him coming around full circle and recognizing that in order for him to fully be who he is without, he has to really tunnel within. And that's basically what 444 is about. So if you couldn't tell, I think it's a really good project. It's really engaging. It's really beautiful, really powerful. Probably his best work in a long time. And he's rhyming. He's producing to the project and not to the brilliance of the production itself. So if you haven't heard it, go check it out. Go get title. Support the black business. You know what I'm saying? Um, Let's get into some anime or some uh, Marvel stuff next. So, I wonder how many people have listened to, listened to, have watched Konosuba. Konosuba is an anime which is available on... VRV, which is one of the apps that I watch anime on. I watch a lot on my iPad these days. Back in the day, we used VHS tapes where you would pay $20 and you would get two episodes on the tape. Two. Plus commercials, plus advertisements for other shows and then that was that and you would have to go and buy the next tape for $20 and get two more episodes then DVDs came out and we were like oh five episodes this is amazing and then obviously the internet came along and saved the world so now I watch a lot of anime on my iPad so Recently, what I watched is uh, Konosuba. I've watched about nine episodes of what I'm finding out is season two, even though I had thought that I was watching the first season because of the first episode felt like an intro. For those of you who don't know, the premise is there's a boy who is a neat, N-E-E-T, not like he's tidy, but... A neat is Japanese slang for somebody who just lives in their basement or lives in their room and only plays video games, doesn't go outside, is bad with girls, blah, 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 or bad with boys or whatever. It's an insult. It's like calling somebody a neckbeard over here or a loser. And in the story he has to leave his house so that he can get a new game in the process he saves somebody but he's hit by a car dies and is reborn into a video game style world now it's not like gamer the main hua it's where they take it seriously this is more uh, a comedy not quite slapstick but it is very silly And I think it's pretty good. 
I think that as a comedy, it really thrives on the edgy tone and the tonality, which is probably a topic of conversation for another day. Um, but it's pretty funny. Now, my buddy told me that what I thought was season one is actually season two, where there are certain characters that appear previously, but the first episode that I saw shows him being transported to this world. So I was like, for season two, did they just show episode one again? And then just kind of kept him going? Because it's like, the story isn't sequential. It's very much so episodic. In each episode, is self-contained. Where, oh, what situation are we getting into this week? And despite it being in a RPG setting, it's not really an adventure story. It's as if they're taking place in the big major city of Grand Soren and Dragon's Dogma, where you're going from place and you're going to a new place, and then once you get to Grand Soren, that's kind of the last city that you find. other places where you can run out and kill monsters, but there's no other cities where you can just live, hang out, buy armor. It's there. That That's kind of it. So, that's kind of what happens in Konosuba. It takes place right there. So this isn't an adventure per se. It's more, it's a sitcom. That's their situation. Plus jokes situation comedy so I'm almost done with season 2 I don't know if I'm going to find season 1 to watch it but I have one more episode and it's very pleasant in it's itchiness I think it's just been a while since I've really sat down and listened to or watched in uh, this type of anime. It really has been a minute. There's been a little bit of a break uh, from a lot of anime for myself. Oh, in case you guys are just joining for the first time, I'm Zid Raw. Welcome to Otaku Beef, where I'm just talking pop culture, anime, manga, video games, stuff that I'm interested in, geek culture shit. And uh, we're talking about Konosuba, which is new for me. I don't know how old it is or whatever. The only thing that I've really been paying attention to, because despite the fact that I haven't watched much anime recently, is I always read manga. And I've read some really interesting manga. I've probably read way more manga than anything else in my life. And I've come across some very fascinating, unique stories, which I kind of need personally in order to function. But... I've been getting back more into anime just because it's so nostalgic and how they do things, but I tend not to watch too many new things in a while. Like, I took that break. I took, like, just a couple of years where I wasn't just absorbing it because I felt like a lot of the anime that I was watching was starting to almost consume itself and repeat the cycles of the same type of content where even as I'm watching Konosuba, I'm predicting the character archetypes 
as like as they're happening where it's like okay you got the and this since it's a comedy you got a loser main character who will probably always be a loser and the 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 people like him but they're not really depending on him so he's kind of the weak one check the barbarian swords woman who is super super strong but she has some sort of like thing she's either super super delicate or she's uh has some other trait Plus, she's a klutz. Check. And this one, her trait is she's uh, masochistic. She She's constantly talking about the bad guys tying her up and spanking her and doing all this crazy shit to her. And it's, you know, that's pretty funny. Um, you've got the, the tiny, adorable, yet super powerful wizard girl who looks young, but uh, is actually super powerful. Check. And then you have the the main female character who argues with the main male character, but they probably are best suited for each other, even though they argue all the time. Uh, he gives her shit, she gives him shit. Check. Situations arise. Everyone overreacts and underreacts. That's where the comedy comes from. There's a lot of silliness to it. I particularly liked the cabbage invasion. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not going to say too much more, but... There's a lot of fun with cabbages on this show. It's not just for uh, Last Airbender. So, I don't really like review projects, but I could give this one a recommendation. If you've got like, if you need to put something on and you know you want to check those boxes and kind of fulfill some places in what you're trying to you know, you like, you just need that anime fix. This one I would throw on if you don't mind like the etchy parts. There's some parts where it's a little bit too etchy for me, where it's a little bit too silly. Like the whole den of succubuses where it's like a brothel, but it's like all succubuses and they're wearing like ridiculous outfits and they're ridiculously proportioned. That seemed a little bit much. Um, but I guess if I was like 14, I'd really enjoy that part. But that seemed like a lot, but it's one of the, it's, it's, I feel like it's kind of cool to highlight some of these anime, which are probably popular to some, but because they're not main Shonen Jump titles, they're, they're probably like overlooked on some level. I don't think I've seen too many people cosplay as a Kono Super character because it's not taking itself too seriously, so... And it's not like slapstick hysterical like Rick and Morty, but it's pretty damn funny. So, you know, check it out. I think it's a pretty, uh, pretty great show. Uh, and also check me out. I'm Zid Raw, Z-I-D-R-A-W. So I recently went to an anime EDM concert I've had a semi-good time. I would I wish that I had had a better time because I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Just because I haven't really been to too many events like this where anime meets parties, where it's like my people. And we're there, me and my buddy, he's a good friend of mine. He's a big gamer. He's more of a gamer, recently getting into anime because I would get him into anime slowly. And 
I think that it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't really my vibration. Like, I feel like we vibrate on our own particular frequencies, and that's why people are attracted to certain types of music. And, you know, if you've been listening a little bit to the Otaku Beef channel, you can see I listen to a lot of, like, hip-hop, a lot of lo-fi, a lot of mainstream and underground-alike hip-hop, but I prefer a little bit more of the just-below-mainstream. Not quite fully underground, but just, just under the surface. That and a lot of uh, nerdcore. So, the EDM show was really, really cool, and the DJs were really, really skilled, but it wasn't fully my vibration or my, my, my tone of music, which is nobody's fault. It's not the venue's fault. It's not my fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's just one of those things that happened. So, I think because it was vibrating on the frequency that was different from my own, I was having a kind of a hard time connecting with the scene like I had wished, um, which is frustrating only because I've been anticipating going to this show for a while, but that's, that's kind of how it goes when you try new things. Sometimes it hits, sometimes it's perfect, and sometimes it's not. And you still have to kind of accept those, those, those negative feelings, the feelings of, it's like a feeling of loss or a feeling of disappointment. Disappointment is like loss meets betrayal because it's like you had expectations. Like you can't be disappointed unless you had an expectation of something. And I feel like that's kind of what, what, what happened. But Despite my disappointment, and I didn't have a bad time, I just didn't have a great time, which is what I wanted. But despite that, I'm just sitting in awe and admiring how they set this venue up. I got a lot of inspiration of what I want to do because I'm an aspiring rapper and I'm an aspiring otaku and I'm an aspiring human being. And I really want to play anime themed hip hop shows I really feel like there's a lane for that and a lot of the stuff I've been making my otaku beats is kind of in that same vein where I'm getting into the lo-fi production or my version of lo-fi production and I think meshing that with the anime style I feel like there's a set in the community that's not or it's underrepresented the otaku hip-hop guy now there are a couple of rappers who mention otaku stuff but they don't really take that role and i really want to put on some parties where we're listening to kind of like the hip-hop meshed with otaku sound they're doing beat sessions and at the same time it's just as dope as this venue, people are dressed in costume, there's a cosplay contest, there's posters on the wall, there's video footage of your favorite anime. Like, they were showing One Punch Man and Dragon Ball Super. This was a great time. I wish I could have uh, vibed a little bit more with the venue, but that's just how it is. Sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but sometimes nothing happens. You're just there. 
And that's kind of what happened to me at this venue. So still, shout out to them. I just want my own place just like it. Z-I-D. Alright, so I really wanted to talk about B and Puppycat because I've just stumbled upon this show and I am enamored and in love with it and I am just frustrated that there's only four episodes. Probably one of the funniest shows I've watched in a long time that's not over the top. It's so... The humor in it is so subtle. It doesn't try too hard. It just lays out whatever it's doing. They're just going about their daily life. They're having random adventures. They're working in these things. And then the person who's crafting the show just makes the humor almost like absurd and matter of fact and that's really what I what I like I like the fact of how musical it is like there's almost like a lo-fi production going on behind the scenes there is the the where where puppy cat whenever puppy cat talks it's like a series of synth notes high pitched synth notes that are translated in subtitles below at the bottom of the screen and it just creates an interesting dynamic because it's like this is a very musical place without them saying that they're a musical place. Like they're, sh- they're showing us, but they're not telling us, which is, you know, basic tenet of storytelling 101, where we get the, we get the sentiment and we get the energy and we get the full understanding of what's going on in the story of what's going on in the story before they say anything. Before they say a word, I knew it was a musical story. And the characters, because of that, because of how much almost subtext and under-the-surface details kind of going into the show, the, the characters themselves are pretty in-depth and dynamic. You've got B who is this very moving at the seat of her pants, doing whatever she feels, kind of oblivious, kind of focused in character. You have her just trying to get through her daily life and have fun and be left alone or to let left to her own devices would be more accurate. And you have Puppy Cat who feels like Puppycat feels like he has like the soul of a warrior, but because he's so adorbs, she keeps putting him in like cute pink sweaters and he just wants to wear a leather jacket. And half the time Puppycat will say stuff, but B is the only one that can really understand him. And the writing is really good and they have the nice absurd television shows that they watch where they watch this guy it was it was very funny because the way they introduced one of the shows it's a guy who's eating and then he's talking to the ca- to the camera but he's like offering like parts of his salad like he's like oh this salad is marvelous did you want did you want my extra tomato are you sure 
No? Okay. Well, how about some bread? This bread is good. Alright, so stay tuned for Jay Eats a Salad. Like, that's the name. Like, that's the show. She watches him eat, like, food. And, like, that's their favorite show. <laughs> like, not make food. Eat food. I just wanted to give a little miniature shout-out to Being Puppycat because... I like those little unique experiences. It reminds me when I first, first saw Adventure Time and just how the creators of that show just got it. They got what the it factor is when it comes to entertainment and value to the audience. And I felt like being Puppycat, just stylistically, it's not over the top, it's not shocking, it's not abrasive. It just rides the very fantastic wavelength that's appealing and attractive naturally. Now, that being said, I need more episodes. There's only four. People are shocked and appalled that there aren't more. So if you haven't seen it, check out Bee and Puppy Cat. I'm Zid Raw. This is Otaku Beef.